Our text this morning is going to be from the fourth chapter of Hebrews. As many of you know, we are uh, studying through the epistle to the Hebrews. And uh, before I left a few weeks ago, we, we more or less finished up uh, the fourth chapter, but I wanted to come back and just highlight a few things here from the fourth chapter. And talking about, as I mentioned, that, that subject of rest, the, the kind of the bigger theme of the fourth chapter is the rest that there is for the people of God. And there's, there's two aspects to that. There's, there's the rest that we experience when we uh, put our faith in Christ and we cease from our own works. We're, we're resting in the finished work of Jesus. I don't have to uh, save myself. I can't save myself. And I don't have to work up Uh, some kind of righteousness that's acceptable to God, I've entered into the perfect righteousness of Christ, and so I'm resting. I'm resting in that salvation. And that that was the uh, primary exhortation that the author's giving to the Hebrew believers who were uh, sort of drifting back into a, a works kind of a relationship with God. But then there's a secondary uh, application of the idea of resting. And, and that's what we want to talk about today. So we're talking today about as, as believers, we're secure in the fact that Christ has saved us and we're not you know, trying to save ourselves through our own good works. But sometimes we find ourselves because of our personal circumstances or because of the insanity of the world that we live in, we find ourselves unsettled. We find ourselves uh, um, filled with anxiety. We find ourselves coming under uh, depression and discouragement. And that's not what God desires for us either. God wants us as his people, not only to rest secure in the fact that he saved us, but he wants us to, to rest secure in the fact that he's going to take care of the difficulties and the problems and the challenges that we face in life as we make our way ultimately to heaven. And so here in this, uh, this fourth chapter of Hebrews, I want to just draw your attention to four uh, reasons why we can rest. And let me read to you from verse 9. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. And then verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So four reasons to rest. Reason number one, we can rest 
because God's word is true. God's word is true. He says in verse 12, the word of God is living and powerful. And in the context, he's pointing out the truth of God's word. What God has said in ancient times still remains a reality today. And so we can rest in what God has told us in his word. And as we look at, for example, maybe the, the things that we're personally going through, the challenges that we are facing from whatever uh, angle they might be coming at us from, uh, we can rest in the truth of God's word that all things work together for the good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. We can, if, if we believe that, like Romans 8 says, if we believe that, you know, that, that causes us to rest. I look at my circumstances and they're not what I, I wish they were perhaps. They're challenging. They're, they're, they're difficult. They're, they're depressing. They're potentially discouraging. But then I look at them and I say, you know what? No, God said that all things work together for good. And so I'm going to believe that. I'm going to stand on that. And when I do that, the result is rest. I can rest because I can, I, I can look at the situation and I can say, you know, this isn't going to harm me the way I fear that it's going to harm me. This isn't going to result in, in some... Uh, you know, negative kind of outcome, the reality is it is in some way, shape, or form, it's advancing the good work of God in my life. You know, I was talking to my wife recently and she was telling me, um, it was actually after one of the messages on a Sunday a few weeks back, uh, she, was, she was telling me how the Lord spoke to her that uh, her, her rest, her peace, would... Uh, be just, you know, correspond to her trust. And as long as she continues to trust God in certain areas, she has peace. But the minute she starts to worry about these things, the minute she starts to try to figure them out, uh, the minute she starts to think uh, about all the, uh, you know, the, the potential negative possibilities, then she's uh, in uh, a, a place of anxiety, a place of agitation. And that's how it is with us. But we have the sure word of God. We have the certain word of God. We have these promises. And so in our own lives personally, we can rest in this, that God loves us and God has a plan and that God is working that plan out in our lives and all things are working together for good. All things. Now, of course, sometimes we <laughs> struggle with believing that. Um, there have been times in my life where I had to really look at a situation and say, are you sure, God, that all things work together for good? I mean, you know, I, I can understand some things. Uh, I can even sometimes agree that most things, but there, there have been times in my life where I'm looking at the, the predicament that I'm in and I am just saying, now, how could this thing work together for good? But you see, this is where faith in God's word comes in. I can't figure it out. I can't see how this is possibly going to be um, a good thing in, in, in the end. But 
by faith, I just lay hold of that promise of God and realize that he's able to make all things work together for good. So we rest in that personally. When we look at the, you know, maybe, maybe it's not um, anything directly personal that is causing the uh, unsettledness of your heart right now. Maybe it's just kind of more of a, an anxiety that is due to the fact that the world itself is so unsettled. The world itself is so crazy. You know, I think we are living, at least as far as um, I can remember back, uh, we're living in really uh, difficult, challenging times in, in a lot of ways. And, and I'm not just talking about you know, our particular situation. I'm talking about more of a global kind of a, of a perspective on things. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're doing pretty good right here in Costa Mesa, Orange County, you know, things, life's, life's pretty good. But man, when you look at some of the crazy stuff that's going on around the globe, uh, just returning from Europe, we saw firsthand because of the geographical proximity to the Middle East, we are seeing uh, this migration into Europe from the Middle East, all of these people fleeing ISIS and, you know, coming from Syria, coming from Iraq, coming from Libya, and these great numbers of, of immigrants coming in and, um, you know, walking through some of the uh, streets of some of these European cities and seeing large numbers of Muslims and realizing that many of them are recently there in these cities because they fled from their homes. They fled from their countries. And so you see that kind of you know, craziness that's, that's happening over there. And, and then you look and you sort of wonder, at least I do, I wonder, you know, is there a point where um, you know, some military power is going to take this thing seriously and say, you know, we, we've got to stop this before it infects the whole world. These kinds of things have a tendency to uh, create an anxiety. And when we see the way the culture is going, when we see uh, the increasing moral darkness in our land, you know, as a Christian, you're, you're sensitive to this, right? And it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get depressed. It's easy to uh, be filled with, with fear. It's easy to be in a place where you're not resting. But again, this is where we come back and we just stand upon God's word. That God's word is true and that despite where the world is presently at, we know that there's a day coming when all of the, right, all of the wrongs are going to be righted. There's a day coming when uh, the righteous will be vindicated. There's a day coming when uh, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so we stand on those promises and we wait for those things and, and we look and we say, well, yes, you know, I, I, I understand that we we're living in challenging times, but I have this confidence, I have this faith, I have this hope that Jesus is going to come and he's going to make it right. And that, that brings me peace. And that's what God intends. He intends his word to give us peace and rest so we can rest because of God's word, because it's true. Because what God said is uh, absolutely the case. If, if I'm Whatever I'm going through, God's going to work it out for good. Whatever's happening on the bigger picture 
of the, the international scene. We know that God is uh, bringing about things and allowing things to happen so he can ultimately fulfill his plan and purpose. So that's number one. Secondly, we can rest because nothing escapes the attention of God. Look at verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You know, that brings me rest. To know that nothing escapes God's attention. You know, the truth of the matter is nobody is, is getting away with anything. You know, isn't it true sometimes that we're so filled with anxiety because it seems like the wicked keep prospering? I mean, this 37th Psalm that we read here, that's what the whole point is. Uh, the, the psalmist is, you know, talking about the fact that um, evil men seem to be prospering and the righteous seem to be suffering. And, and what does he say? You know, fret not because of evildoers. But that's, that's something that we tend to do, right? We fret when we see evil being done. We fret when we see uh, justice being passed over. We, we fret when we see uh, the wicked being uh, vindicated and the righteous uh, being oppressed. We've seen that recently in the, the, the surfacing of these uh, videos on the internet with the whole Planned Parenthood thing and you see uh, just the, the, the insanity of uh, these, these little children, these, these babies, these, these human beings that are uh, being sliced up and sold, their body parts. I mean, what, what kind of insanity is this? And yet we find that uh, our, our current administration just sort of turn a blind eye to it. And we find that many people in political power are, are just ignoring those kinds of things. But we look at the plight of whether it's the unborn or we look at the plight of uh, the children. I just spent quite a bit of time in Europe with some friends who do international adoption ministry. They, they're engaged in uh, adoption and working with uh, oppressed children all over the world. And you know, you hear some of the stories and you, you, uh, you see some of what's happening and, and all of these things, you tend to look and you think, God, is there ever going to be justice and and how is it lord that these you know how is it that these people continue uh, to seemingly get away with these things but here's the truth nobody's getting away with anything in the end and we have to believe god's word that brings us rest and we can say okay uh you know right now it seems like Injustice is prevailing, but you know, there, there's coming a day. God has declared in his word, whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. And, 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 you know, Paul prefaces that with this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. So we've got people all over the world mocking God, scoffing at the idea of God, and uh, oppressing others and, and so forth. But the point is, there's a, a, a day of uh, reckoning that's coming. And so we can rest in that. That God is going to, he's, he, he sees everything. He knows what's happening. 
and one day he's going to put it all right, and he's going to judge the wicked. He is going to judge the wicked, and he's going to, to vindicate the, uh, the righteous and, and the oppressed. And, you know, even on a personal level, you know, sometimes you have things happening, and you might be the victim of somebody's slander campaign. You might be the victim of... Um, you know, all kinds of, of evil types of things that are directed right at you. And, and we're tempted sometimes to think that, uh, you know, wow, doesn't anybody see what's really going on here? But you know, the Lord sees. He sees. And when we're tempted to, to wonder if God sees what's going on, you know what we're also tempted to do is we're tempted to take things into our own hands. Somebody lies about you, somebody slanders you, somebody says, uh, you know, things that just simply aren't true, and the big temptation is to just jump up and defend yourself and to fight back and say, you know, hey, that's not the way it is, let me set the record straight, and, and yet, you know, there are times when the Lord says, you know, I, I see what's going on, don't worry, trust me, rest in me. And I'll take care of those things. You know, again, there in the 37th Psalm, I will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday sun. God's going to show in the end who's righteous and who's not. And we can rest in him to do it. We can trust him to do it. And so that brings us rest when we recognize and realize that nothing escapes the attention of God he sees, not only, does, <laughs> you know, not, not only does he see what we see, he sees a lot more. You know, have you ever had a time where you're like, Lord, have you seen what they're doing? And, and I, I've had that, and God responds yeah, back to me like, oh yeah, and they're doing a lot more than you can see. <laughs> but I've seen it all. And don't worry, I'm taking care of it. There's, there's nothing that escapes God's attention. I find comfort in that. I find rest in that. I can just say, Lord, you know, and it's all gonna come out. Jesus made that clear over and over again. What you say in secret's gonna be shouted from the rooftops. And so God sees, he knows. Thirdly, we can rest because we have a sympathetic high priest. We have a sympathetic high priest, someone who knows our trouble, someone who knows our plight, someone who knows our affliction, not theoretically, but somebody who knows it experientially because they've been there. There's, there's not one thing that we could ever come to God with and say, Lord, I, I've got this problem, I've got this burden, I've got this thing, that, but Lord, you would never understand this. Well, of course, God understands everything from the fact that he's omniscient, but he understands it from experience as well. Because Jesus, as we're told here, he was tempted or tested or tried in all points as we are. But sometimes we forget that, don't we? We forget that we have a sympathetic high priest. We forget that when we come to God with our burdens that he, he's not indifferent toward us. 
He's not disinterested in what we've got to say, but he's fully attentive, and, and he's been in that place. You, you know, when you meet somebody who has suffered in a, a similar fashion as to maybe what you're going through, you know, you find that there's, there's a, um, an element of... Uh, not just sympathy, but there's empathy there. You, there's some comfort that you take in that. I know for me, the people that have gone through things, I, I might not have even known that they had gone through them and I, I might be you know, sharing with them something that I'm struggling with and they respond back and say, hey, you know, I went through something just like that. Wow, the moment they say that, that, that encourages me. What, really, you, you know what I'm talking about? You, you've been there yourself? And this is what God did for you? Oh, that just strengthens my heart. That encourages me so much. And with Jesus, that's the case. I was, as I was reading through Luke this week and just kind of coming to the end of the um, gospel there, a couple, a couple of things stood out. Um, the, the blind man in Jericho. Jesus is passing through Jericho and there's a blind man and he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is passing through. And all of a sudden he jumps up, he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he begins to shout that, and the people around him are saying, be quiet, shut up, don't bother Jesus. And they, of course, thought that that would be an inconvenience to Jesus. Of course, he, he's got more important things to do. He's not interested in this guy. Just, uh, But, you know, Jesus stops, and he comes to him, and he asks him, what can I do for you? Oh, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Jesus gives him his sight. But I just think of that, how, how Jesus is not indifferent. You know, sometimes we, even as Christians, we can be indifferent to the plight of people, can't we? Oh, don't bother me with, with that right now. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm weary. You know, when you're traveling and you're kind of just... You're kind of just burned out and, you know, and then you're going along and, you know, maybe you're in a crowded situation and just suddenly everybody around you is just irritating the heck out of you. <laughs> they're not in trying to do it, but just the fact that they're there is irritating because you're, you're tired. And, you know, you're just, you're tired of being in this crowd. You're tired of getting pushed and bumped into and people cutting in front of you and all of that kind of stuff. You know, that's just humanity. We, we wear out. But you know, there's never a time when we come to Jesus and he says, you know what, I'm just too tired to deal with you right now. Man, just don't bug me. You humans, you've just been, you know, you're just exhausting me. <laughs> we come to Jesus and he's always right there. He's ready. So he, you know, the disciples, they understandably thought that, no, they were probably tired. They were probably over it. They were probably like, no, no, not another person that's going to try to, you know, we're trying to, they might have been trying to get somewhere to get some dinner. And, uh, oh no, this guy's going to, Jesus is going to stop and he's going to take all this time and we are so hungry. I can really preach this right now because I lived this yesterday. <laughs> In the airport. I'm just so tired of airports and everything. And Cheryl and I are going through, and pretty soon, you know, we're kind of just snipping at each other. And she's like, quit being mean to me. Why are you being so mean? I'm not mean. I'm just hungry. Come on, just like, get me to some food and everything I suggest. No, I don't want that. I don't like that. That smells like fish. That's, uh, you know, I don't want to 
ale pie. I, you know, I don't want to go to a pub. I don't, you know, all of these things. It's like, well, where do you want to eat? <laughs> Jesus never does that. <laughs> He's always patient with us. But you know, it's also, as I was reading in Luke, I thought, as I read that familiar passage of, of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll read something and it, for whatever reason, it just kind of leaps off the page at you like it maybe normally doesn't. But as I read this, Father, if this cup can pass from me, take it away. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And for some reason, when I read that the other day, I just thought, wow, you know, here Jesus, this is the climactic moment in this whole ministry. This is why he came into the world for this very hour, as he said. And, and yet, as he faces this, he says, Father, if this cup can pass from me. And I thought, wow. There's that tempted in all points as we are. We talked about that earlier as we looked at uh, the suffering of Christ. But, but those are the things. We have a sympathetic high priest. And he's always sympathetic. And we're never going to come to him with something that he isn't familiar with himself. And we can, we can rest in that. The Lord knows. The Lord sees. He, he understands. I love the 103rd Psalm where there it says that he knows our frame. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. I love that picture. God knows our, our frailties. He knows our weaknesses. And as he's promised in so many places, he's not going to allow us to be tested beyond our ability to endure. He's not going to allow these things to destroy us. He's going to come to our aid as our sympathetic high priest. And then fourthly, we can rest because God has an unlimited supply of grace available to us to strengthen us to meet the challenges that we face. There's an unlimited supply of grace. You know, I have noticed this. We, in regard to trials and testing and tribulations and difficulties, our first thought and generally our first request is, Lord, don't let me go through this. Lord, get me out of this. Extract me from this situation. That, that's mostly what we pray, isn't it? But you know what I have found? Although God does do that occasionally, I, th I think it's, it's quite rare, actually. I, I think it's quite rare that he doesn't, uh, you know, that he just completely delivers us from all trials and difficulties. And obviously the, the Bible <laughs> supports uh, this theory because the Bible continues to remind us that in the world we will have tribulation. Through much tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God, the apostle said. And, um, but you know what I, what I see more consistently, even in my observation, even in my own life, God doesn't deliver us from things. He 
goes with us through those things. And he provides us the strength to go through. Now, if it was up to me, I would just ask for an exemption from all problems. I would love to just go through life problem-free. But you know, the Bible says in 1 Peter, the Bible says that we need to go through things. That the testing of your faith, if need be, there's times when we need this. You know, there's a passage where it speaks of the Lord saying he does not afflict willingly. And what that means is that even God himself uh, in his fatherly heart does not necessarily, you know, want to send us through affliction, but he knows that we need to go there. And so being the good father that he is, it's like, okay, ah, Oh, I, I hate to do this. I don't, this is, I don't, I wish I could exempt you from this, but look, I got to put you in. I, I just have to do it. I have to do it for your benefit. And that's, that's what God does many times. But the great thing is, as he, he promised this, he said, when you go through the fire, I will be with you. You see, go through the fire. You're going to go through it. And when you go through the waters, they will not overflow you. You see, that's the promise. The promise is there's an endless supply of grace that the Lord is going to give to us. Paul, the great apostle Paul that we all look to and admire so much, he thought that this affliction that he had was an impediment to his ministry, and so he prayed, Lord, take it away. And he tells us about it. He said, three times I, I sought the Lord that he might deliver me from this. He called it a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh that was buffeting him. He said, but God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. God's answer was, no, I'm not going to take it away, Paul. But I'm going to give you the grace to deal with it. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God said, I'm going to give you the grace that you need to endure this thing. And through this, this thing that's causing weakness in your life, I'm going to be glorified. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And so we can rest in this great truth that God has an endless supply of grace for us. Whatever we need He's going to provide us with it. He's going to give us the grace to face the, the challenging things that we all face at some time or another in our lives. And so just knowing that there's sufficient grace and knowing that we have a sympathetic high priest and knowing that God sees everything and nobody's getting away with anything and knowing that everything that God has said in his word is true. You know, all of that is intended to bring us rest. It's intended to bring us rest. I was listening to uh, a guy preach recently. I was watching a video on the internet. And um, he, was, he, he was talking about the human condition. And he was talking about just the, you know, the reality of, of sin and the fact that you know, we're, we're broken, and he was talking about all of that, and he was quoting uh, a, a world-famous 
psychologist who had done all of this research on, you know, just sort of life in general and the problems that people face. And, uh, you know, he'd done, a, he'd done a ton of research and he came back uh, with this conclusion. His conclusion after, after endless hours of research and multi-millions of dollars, you know, spent on the project, he comes back with this. He comes back and he says, well, it, from everything that I can observe, what it appears is that originally man was sort of perfect and good, but something happened that caused man to become broken, and now we've got all of these problems, and somehow we've got to, you know, find the solution to this. And so th this guy's actually quoting, I, I can't remember who the psychiatrist was or psychologist, he's quoting this guy, and, you know, he shares his conclusions, and then the, the guy preaching said this, he said, well, all right, thousands of hours and millions of dollars, and we got to Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> Didn't need to do all that, you just open your Bible and read it, it tells you right there, yes, that's exactly what happened. We were created in the image of God and we were living in fellowship with him, but something happened that caused us to become broken. Sin entered into the world. My, my point in even bringing that story up is just God's word is true. It's, it's right. What it says about humanity, what it says about where we came from and, and why we're here and potentially where we're headed, all of that is true. And all the details that it gives to us about what God's plan is, all of those things are true, so we can rest. We can rest in the fact that the world is not always going to be the way that it is. There's not always going to be evil. There's not always going to be oppression. There's not always going to be uh, poverty and disease and all of those kinds of things that have been dominant throughout human history. They're going to be eradicated through the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. I'll close with this. We, our Creation Fest this year, uh, you know, every year we do a theme for the week where we teach on a topic or maybe we go through a book of the Bible. Uh, but this year we happen to do the greatest story ever told. Some of you realize that from the video that we showed a couple of weeks back. So that was our theme, the greatest story ever told. I started it with the prophecies about the coming of Christ. And then we just looked at, just kind of walked through the life of Christ. And the very last session had to do with the second coming of Jesus. And I was assigned to teach on the second coming of Jesus. And so as I was you know, praying about and preparing to do that, I just had the thought that I should teach. I have 45 minutes or something like that, you know, 45, 50 minutes. I I'm gonna teach the book of Revelation. Because, of course, that's the book about the second coming, right? Other portions of Scripture talk about the second coming, but that book is about entirely, the whole thing is about this greatest event of all, the, second, the return of Christ. So I did. Now, the backdrop to that is in UK and, and in Europe, in the UK and Europe, uh, teaching about the second coming of Christ is very, very uh, sparse. You don't find a whole lot of it at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's a topic that's generally avoided. The book of Revelation is uh, most, most pastors and teachers in Europe would not dare to uh, teach the book of Revelation. Many of them think that it has no relevance for today, and others would just say it's way too hard. It's so full of symbols and all, we can never make sense of it. 
So, you know, I did. I taught it. And, um, <laughs> and we got a lot of really great response from it. But one particular uh, response I wanted to share with you came from a young girl, probably in her early 20s. And she's been around the festival for a few years. And she wrote a letter. And she was just talking about how impactful this festival has been in her life. And she says, uh, she's a musician who, who, you know, plays at our festival. So she plays a lot of festivals in the country. She says, you know, this is my favorite festival. And she said, Creation Fest is my favorite time of the year. She said, actually, Creation Fest is, um, I like Creation Fest better than Christmas. And then she puts like a little, can I even say that? But, uh, you know, that's, she just wanted us to know how much she appreciated it. But then she went on to tell a little bit of a story about how she has lived in absolute fear of the whole idea of the second coming of Jesus. And the book of Revelation to her has not been a comfort or a blessing. It's been something that's absolutely frightening to the point that she would never even open her Bible to the book of Revelation. It just freaked her out. Just like, man, that's the one book I am just scared to death of. But the good report was, she said, wow, listening to the, uh, the overview of the book of Revelation, I never realized how wonderful the book is. And I never realized what the content really was, that it was talking about the great day. And she used this terminology, the great day when Aslan returns to <laughs> Narnia. And she was using the, you know, the C.S. Lewis uh, analogy there. But, but she was saying, that's what it's like when Jesus comes back. And she said, I'm no longer afraid. I just want to know more and more and more about Jesus coming back. And that's what the Bible promises us that Jesus will come back. And that's, that is a basis for rest. It doesn't mean that we don't keep working. It doesn't mean that we don't keep doing our best to get the gospel out. It doesn't mean that we don't keep doing what we can to help the oppressed and the afflicted and the people who are suffering. We keep doing all of that. But at the, in the end, our hope is not in what we can do as human beings. Our hope is in the fact that Christ is gonna come and he's gonna make everything right. And we rest in that. Jesus is going to do it. His word is true. And he wants us, his people, not just resting in the fact that we're not having to work our way to heaven, but he wants us to rest in the fact that as we make the journey to heaven, he's got everything else under control. And we can just trust him. So Lord, help us to do that today. We pray. And Lord, just on a personal level, wherever we might be, whatever place we might find ourselves, maybe we're struggling with um, trusting in the promises that you've made us. Help us to know that your word is completely trustworthy. Maybe we're struggling because it seems like things are happening that, that you're not, either you're not aware of them or you're not doing anything about them. Help us, Lord, to know that in your time, you're going to vindicate the righteous and punish the wicked. Lord, help us to remember that you're not indifferent, uncaring, but Lord, you're compassionate, you're sympathetic, 
And Lord, help us not just to know that there's an endless supply of grace, but help us to come boldly, continually before that throne of grace that we might obtain the mercy we need and find the grace to help us in our time of need. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.